You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There's going to be times when you get angry, right? And uh, for whatever reason, as a part of your life's experience. How are we to deal with that? What's the great cure-all for anger in our own experience? Well, listen, simply do everything as unto the Lord. And if you do everything as unto the Lord and please the Lord, not to please other people or even to please yourself, you're never going to be rejected. God will never reject you. I mean, think about it, right? Have you ever asked yourself, why do I do what I do? It's a good question. And today, Pastor Mike teaches that your motives really matter. When you pursue things that can only please you and neglect what the Lord wants, you become frustrated because you never seem to be satisfied. As a child of God, your satisfaction, your peace, and true freedom come from hearing His voice and doing all that you can do to please Him. It takes belief in His promises, without which you cannot please Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6 as he continues his message, The Danger of Spiritual Ignorance. Nevertheless, we are often tempted to judge a worship experience by how it makes us feel. But when we realize that worship is really all about pleasing God, that's what it's all about. It's not all about the favorite song, the favorite Christian song that we sing, and we all have our favorite Christian songs. I have my favorites, you know. But that's not really what it's all about. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's not about our own emotions, although our emotions do come into play. It's all about pleasing God. And in those moments, we are driven to his word so we can know how he wants to be worshipped. And so there are so many verses of scripture, texts of scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament alike that instructs us on the correct way that we are to worship the Lord. Okay, so with that said, now keep that in mind, because there was a very specific way that they were to worship uh, the Lord, there was a very special way that they were to transport the Ark of the Covenant, and it seems as if that had escaped the people in this procession. Intention plans may go wrong, and such is the case before us. You see, with misguided zeal, probably Abinadab's grandsons placed the Ark in a new ox-drawn cart that was made especially for this occasion to take it back to the city of Jerusalem. 
So you're probably thinking at this point, okay, so pastor, what's the problem then? Well, listen, the problem was that only the Levites prescribed by the law in the book of Numbers in chapter 3 were to carry the ark. And what's interesting to me here is that no one raises any objections. Not the Levites, not the priests, right? In the way that they were to transport the ark from Abinadab's home back to the city of Jerusalem, they weren't doing it in the prescribed way that God had laid down to Moses in the book of Numbers, and no one took exception. No one raises any objections. Not the Levites, not the priests. You would think at least the priests would have known better. You see, what do we take away from this? That when God's word is not taught, people become ignorant of his will, and particularly the way that they worship him. I'm just amazed the way that people construct their services in some churches. And I'm not suggesting that this takes place in every church, but, you know, the emphasis upon things that are really not important within their uh, services. We need to go back to the word of God to receive the instruction on the way that we are to have our services being held, whether it relates to worshiping the Lord or teaching the word or fellowship or receiving communion or any of the ordinances of the Lord. We always need to go back to the word. But obviously there was an absence of the instruction of the word of God during this period of time. So here's the danger in all of that. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. From the book of Hosea in chapter 4 and verse 6. Notice there we are told, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. So obviously the scriptures weren't being taught at this period of time in the history of the nation of Israel. And that was the problem. And that was the very reason why they were about to be destroyed. I also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. For the moment, God tolerates this violation of his explicit command. And the people's praise to the accompaniment of instruments is acceptable unto him. That is, just for the moment. Okay, let's go back to our text now. Verses 6 and 7. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, and the threshing floor back then, you know, was where they separated the wheat from the chaff. When they came to Nachon's threshing floor, so we're given the exact location, so that the Ark of the Covenant has already been placed upon this cart, and they're moving now the period of nine miles, and they come to this particular uh, destination. And Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. What in the world is going on? So as the cart carrying the ark comes near the threshing floor of Nashon, Something happened to cause the ox that was carrying the cart, heading to Jerusalem. One of the oxen stumbled. Maybe he tripped over a rock. We really don't know. We're not given any of the details. And notice here, according to our text, the cart begins to tip. And Uzzah steps forward to steady the ark, and God is angered, and he strikes him dead. Now, once again, you're probably thinking, what did he do to deserve this? 
Well, let me give you a possible explanation and try to answer that question for you. Maybe it was the way that he went about treating the Ark of the Covenant as something as being ordinary. Remember what it represented. It represented the covenant that God had made between himself and Israel, but it also represented his presence being amongst the people of uh, God. So maybe Uzzah was treating it as some ordinary thing. It may be that having cared for the ark for many years, remember it was at his grandfather's home for a period of 20 years, Abinadab's home, he had become inwardly proud of the privilege bestowed upon him. So remember he dealt with it, he treated it in a very irreverent kind of a way. And when the ark was in danger of falling, his pride caused him to act in a way that drew attention to himself. You know what I really think is going on here? I think that one of the great lessons Israel had to yet learn was of the unapproachable majesty and holiness of the Lord of glory. So anyway, here's the first step towards the inauguration of a new era of worship and a sense of presence of God in their midst. And Uzzah's death conveys a warning to David and the people. What was that warning? What was the lesson to be learned here? Nothing connected with God is ordinary. Let me say that again. Nothing connected with God is an ordinary thing. Remember who it is that we are in fellowship with, having communion with. This is so important that we learn this lesson. You know, I think the equivalent, and remember now, this is something that God was doing in a new way amongst his people in Israel. You know, I think the equivalent of this in the New Testament would be that of Ananias and Sapphira. And that account is recorded for us in the book of Acts in chapter 5. And there in that particular chapter in the book of Acts in chapter 5, the Bible tells us that uh, the believers had all things in common. And they sold the things that they had, and they distributed to those who did not have. And in that chapter, we're introduced to these characters, Ananias and Sapphira, that we are told that they sold a parcel of land, and they gave a portion of what they had received from that sale to the apostles to be distributed to those who had need. But the problem was that they lied about it. They told them that they had given all that they had received in the sale of their property, which was not the case. They only gave a portion. And listen, God wouldn't have that. What was God doing there? Think about it. That was the inauguration of the first church, the first century church. So he wasn't going to have any hypocrisy in the beginnings and the origins of that church, right? And so what did he do? He struck Ananias and Sapphira dead, right? So that they might learn a lesson so that the church might learn the lesson that God does not tolerate hypocrisy, that God wants his people to be pure. So I think what's going on here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the equivalent of that is in the New Testament, the record of what is recorded for us in the book of Acts in chapter 5. And so their punishment caused the church, that is Ananias and Sapphira, to experience a holy reverence for the Lord, to keep it pure and free from hypocrisy. And so anyway, the procession stops dead in its tracks, and what began as a happy anticipation of God being enthroned in his city 
ends in a disaster, the killing of this man, Uzzah. Now let's pick up now, verses 8 through 11. And David became angry. And I'll give you the reasons why David became angry. And as we consider the reasons why, these are the very same reasons why any of us would get angry. So something to think about in advance. Verse 8, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And that word Perez literally means outburst or outburst against Uzzah. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of a fellow whose name was Obed-Edom the Gittite. Okay, now let's go back. Notice there in verse 8, we are told David is angry. And his anger arises from feelings of, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, rejection, humiliation, and frustration. Let me say that again. David's feelings of anger is the result of a sense of rejection, humiliation, and frustration. And gang, these, I believe, are the three basic causes of why we also might become angry. And I think David is experiencing on this occasion all three. He feels rejected because in spite of all of his hard work and planning and his good intentions, I mean, think of it, these were all good intentions, bringing God back into the center of his people Israel. I mean, could his intentions have been any better than that? But instead of that, God broke in and showed his displeasure. And then also, David felt humiliated. I mean, the crowd that had joined in so enthusiastically are now bewildered. And they looked to David for answers. But guess what? He had none. And listen, isn't this always the case? The person in charge always receives most of the blame for what is going on. Isn't that true? Okay, that might cause us to be angry as well. I mean, you're in charge. You were supposed to prevent something like this from happening. And so David is humiliated. But then also, the third cause was David became frustrated. You see, David wanted to have the ark in Jerusalem so bad, it seems as if all his plans were for nothing. And it just simply led to frustration. So let me ask you the question. There's going to be times when you get angry, right? And uh, for whatever reason, as a part of your life's experience. How are we to deal with that? What's the great cure-all for anger in our own experience? Well, listen, simply do everything as unto the Lord. And if you do everything as unto the Lord and please the Lord, not to please other people or even to please yourself, you're never going to be rejected. God will never reject you. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, you're doing what you're doing for him, for his pleasure, for his honor. You can be sure that you're not going to be rejected by him. He's not going to humiliate you, that's for sure. And certainly you're not going to be frustrated. So that's the great cure-all for anger. Don't do whatever you choose to do to please anyone else except the Lord. But all of this quickly turned to fear. Notice there once again in verse 9, we are told, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord 
come to me. So David was afraid to proceed, so he withdrew. Uncertain what to do, he puts the ark in the house of this fellow that we're introduced to here, Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, this is not to suggest that he was a Gittite, but he was rather from the city of Gath. Uh, It was probably someone whose godliness earned him great respect. And David knew of this fellow. You know, some writers believe that Obed-Edom was from Gath-Rimmon, a Levitical city, making him, in all probability, a Levite from the priestly tribe of Levite of the family of Kohath. So he met all of the requirements for being able to handle the Ark of the Covenant. He is totally aware, that is his fellow Obed-Edom, he is totally aware of what had just happened, and yet he welcomes the ark into his house. Now, if you were Obed-Edom, and upon the king's request, he asked you to bring the ark into your house after knowing that he just killed this fellow Uzzah, what would you have done? Would you have any reservations about this? Well, there's an absence of that. You see, and we are told as we continue on, that he welcomed the ark into his home, and he does not suffer any repercussions at all. And why was that? Because in everything that Obed-Edom did, honored God. And because he honored God, God honored him. And told blessings rest upon his home. Notice what it says there in verse 11. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. You see, the God of heaven pays liberally for his lodging. Okay, so what should we take away from this? I mean, listen, a part of our experience of inviting Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of our lives, we're asking him to come and take control of our lives, right? And he does come in, right? And make no mistake about that, when you invite him to come in, he will come in, And when we do that, you can be sure that he will pay you liberally in return for his lodging with you. That is, if you open yourself and you make your life available to a holy God, and that there's nothing going on in your life that is unholy. And you can be sure, even as he blessed Obed-Edom, he will also bless you. Let me say it again, the God of heaven pays liberally for his lodging. So I thought that that was worth mentioning. Now, during those three months, you know, between David trying to figure out what had just taken place and him continuing on in his resolve to bring the Ark of the Covenant back in the city of Jerusalem and place it in the tabernacle that he had erected. So during that period of three months, he's trying to figure it out. So the Ark is still in Obed-Edom's house for a period of three months. David must have thought, often about why God had so abruptly shown his displeasure. But slowly, I believe, it all came into focus for David. He began to recall what Samuel had taught him concerning Moses and Aaron and the ark, and how it was to be carried in the desert. And how was it to be carried in the desert? Only the Levites were to bear this vessel and they were to do that by means of long 
pole. Sometimes, here's a cross-reference for you, Exodus chapter 25, verses 12 through 14. So sometime during the week, I'd encourage you to read that. The equivalent of this is something goes on in our lives and we can't make heads or tails of it and we're trying to figure things out and we're trying to discern what God is doing or what actions we should take. You know, maybe even over an extended period of time, we just can't figure things out. And then all of a sudden, you know, we begin to make heads or tails. We're, we recall certain texts of scripture and maybe we're thinking about certain characters in the Bible who went through similar experiences, what we're going through at the present time. And then all of a sudden it comes into clarity, you know? And then we know what we're supposed to do. Well, that's exactly what's going on here with David. He's reminded about the instruction that he received from Samuel the prophet so many years before concerning Moses and his brother Aaron and how that the Levites alone were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. So in verses 12 through 19, let's go on now. So now he, he has some understanding about all of this. Now it was told, verse 12, King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark. So this is sort of like a green light. Because he was scared. He was scared that if he would have taken back the ark of God, maybe he would have been killed. Maybe those who would comfort him would have been killed. He was fearful, right? He didn't know what to do. But now news had come back how that God was blessing Obed-Edom's home. So this is sort of like a green light for David to continue. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, Jerusalem, with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. I mean, this is really all over the top. I mean, every six paces, David would offer up a sacrifice unto the Lord. I mean, this is really over the top. You know, it really wasn't warranted, you know, honestly. But nevertheless, this is the respect that David had paid uh, God. This is the way that he worshipped him. This is the way that he showed his worship unto the Lord. That he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Okay, so let's go on. And then we are told in verse 15, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, now remember Michal is one of David's first wives, Saul's daughter, and notice the writer is very careful to mention that it was Saul's daughter, so that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I think that's the reason why uh, the writer was, you know, clear way wanted to mention that not only was she David's wife, first wife, but she was also Saul's daughter, disobedient Saul's daughter. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. God used David in powerful ways, even after he had failed. 
And God can use you, too. Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and He's merciful, and He has great plans for you. Continue to trust in His goodness and faithfulness, and let Him use you to bring glory to His name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.